Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. At this point, I think I'm definitely ready for week one um, and carry on throughout the season. Um, I think these first two games were a lot of good work, obviously, getting the practice in uh, with Cincy and with the Patriots as well. Um, but I think, you know, playing in that last game would just be getting more reps, just getting more comfortable, seeing new looks, going against a different team. Um, so I don't think it would hurt. Jordan Love, Packers quarterback, doing something that the Packers starting quarterback has not done in recent years, play in the preseason. He played week one. He played week two. They're trying to get him ready to go. It's big shoes to fill with Aaron Rodgers gone. What was your take? Better, worse, or the same from week one to week two of the preseason for Jordan Love? Chris. I think it was better. I do. You know, one, I, I felt like he just let it go more. You know, week one, remember you heard me say a few times, it felt like he got in the ball. You know, we saw him let it go a few times, right? But this one here, you know, I just thought there was a they confidence in what he was seeing to just go ahead and pull the trigger. This was a great deep ball throw. I know this is something they want more of him, uh, more from him. And, but I mean, even this right here, that's what I'm talking about, right? Jordan love last year. If we could continue to show that clip again or in preseasons before. And Mike, you've talked about this, that gauge of knowing what's open in the NFL. And I got to pull the trigger here. Cause even though that looks tight to Johnny at home and the NFL, this is open. So, one, I love the throw to Dobbs up the right sideline. It's perfectly placed football, and then great job by Dobbs. But this one, an out route from the 20-yard line, and he's barely open, and he just goes, you know what, I'm going to put it right on his face mask, and it doesn't matter where the defender is. That's what I like to see from Jordan Love, and he's got to feel good. That's two good starts in a row, and this one better than the last one, Mike. I'm going to say the same because we were praising him last week for that ability to know when to float it, when to zip it, and those two plays that we showed. Yeah. yeah. One, he floats it down right. the sideline, and that other one, he lets the fastball go. And once you develop that presence of mind to know how to throw it and to have the calm to take something off of it, to know when you got to put the air under it, the accuracy way down the field with moving targets – I think the guy looks pretty good. I do, too. And we've been saying it all offseason. Yeah. The Packers are going to be better than people are giving him credit for just because Aaron Rodgers is gone. They traded up for Jordan Love. They knew what they were getting, and he sat for three years just like Aaron Rodgers did. Right. So that doesn't mean he's going to be Aaron Rodgers, but I don't know why people would assume, given the the history of the Green Bay Packers for the last 30 years with developing and utilizing quarterbacks, I don't know why people would just write this guy off without seeing what he does simply because he was stuck behind one of the all-time greats for three seasons in a bad situation and never complained about it once. Yeah, no, I don't know how that right. translates to this guy can't play football. I, I think so I, you're he right. sure looks like he can right. play. He does. He looks like he can play. And you know they made some explosive plays on the offensive side of the ball behind his arm there. 
And and even on his incompletion, you know, there was one or two where it was like, hey, go ahead, fire that in there. Fire it in there. You you got enough talent to do that. You don't need to guide the ball and try to be perfect. But I saw less of that and more firing it in there this week. And like you said, there's a variety of throws he has. There, Bakhtiari, he's not getting traded. He's going to be there. That O-line's good. That defense should be better. You know, you're saying it right. Green Bay is is, is going to have something to say in, in the NFC this year. Yeah, GM Brian Gutekunst made that point last week that Bakhtiari isn't going to be traded. Now, I assume he didn't say we have no intention to trade David Bakhtiari because <laughs> we know what that can lead to. But I think Bakhtiari will be there, and maybe Bakhtiari feels better about it because he made the comment himself. Back during that period of the offseason when he was referring to the team as they, he did make the comment about how it's rebuilding and nobody really knows how they're going to be. And then at one point he came around and said that makes it exciting. Nobody knows how we're going to be once he shifted back to we instead of they. So there's a chance that, hey, that NFC North almost as wide open as the NFC South. And the only reason it feels different is because we've anointed the Lions, and I think the Lions are going to be pissed ultimately that they were given that that expectation without truly deserving it. Okay, Russell Wilson. Uh, The expectations were sky high for him a year ago. It's it's the exact opposite this year because of how bad – Last year went. He was three for six, 24 yards, three carries, 25 rushing yards. Good, better. Wait. Wait, it was going so well, too. I'm worse than last week. Better, worse, same Russell Wilson from week one to week two. Well, it's nothing to like, you know, that's just going to like blow your, you know, brain blow emoji where you're like, whoa, that was the most unbelievable performance I've ever seen. I am going to say better. One. Hey, it's a first drive of the game. You scored points. I know the 49ers didn't have all their starters out there, but they had a lot of them. Okay. And this is what I like. Is this right here? To me, this unlocks Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, having lost 15 to 20 pounds, has another gear that he did not have the last few years in the NFL. And I just think that's why I'm going to say better is because, one, as he's getting comfortable in a new offense, that movement and running is going to be the get-out-of-jail-free card. Oh, wait. Oh, I, I missed this read. Sean told me that. But, oh, okay, let me get out of the pocket. I can make a throw now. Okay, Sean Payton's probably pissed at me I missed the read, but at least I made up for it with my athletic ability got something done. Or I scrambled for eight yards or whatever to keep the chains going, even though I'm not perfect in the offense. So I think it's just going to add to explosive plays. It's going to give him a little buffer as he learns the offense. And, of course, it's just going to make them more dangerous. You put it far more concisely in the text message that came through Saturday night at 8.50 p.m. Eastern. Told you Russ has less chafing. <laughs> I, I forgot I sent you that. That's right. <laughs> well, well, that doesn't surprise me, right. smoky, smoky, drinky, drinky. Exactly. But, yes, uh, the point that Chris made last week when you're – uh, large enough that the thighs actually rub together, creates chafage, and Russ doesn't have that this year because he's he's lost that weight. And he clearly looks leaner. He clearly looks smaller than he was last year, and that can make all the difference in the world. And, yeah, he's better, and he needs to be better. This is week two for a coach he's never played for before, completely unlearning everything from last year, learning something new this year. It had better be better week two, and I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was too. You know, and, and again, that wasn't an easy task. We know that. Uh, I would ex- expect to see him a, another few drives next week here. And maybe this would be a weekday game plan a few things and be a little more specific to help the, get the pass game jump off here. Uh, but either way, I think it's a good start for Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, and the Broncos. All right, C.J. Stroud looked a little rough for him against the New England Patriots week one of the preseason in two drives, almost broke an ankle, threw an interception. It just was lackluster. Seven for 12, 60 yards in the full half against the Miami Dolphins on Saturday. He still hasn't been named the starter yet for week one, but come on. D'Amico Ryans did the college coach thing. You'll find out week one. But if it's not C.J. Stroud, something has really gone haywire especially after rough first drive on Saturday against the Dolphins. And then just like Tua flipped the switch, C.J. Stroud flipped that same switch and came out and looked much better, much more relaxed and operated the offense, made some nice throws. And there's no way he's not going to be the week one starter. No, I, I would think that he would totally have to just, you know, choke his ass off in preseason game three 
and make a number of mistakes for them not to make him the starter. Right? He was better in this game. You know, you said it already. One, he didn't have a chance to be anything in week one. I mean, the Patriots were, you know, in the backfield by the time he caught the ball in the shotgun snap every time. But this is why he's better. You said it too. He's controlled. He was he was just relaxed. And man, like CJ Stroud, I love the way he throws the football. I mean, there, just even that tight window touch ball on the run puts it in a spot where Noah Brown can get it or nobody else. And he can throw balls outside the numbers with great ease and accuracy. That's what I loved them coming out of college. So I thought this was something to build on there. They're not extremely talented, and their O-line is not totally healthy right now. They need that in a running game to make C.J. Stroud look good. That'll be imperative because there's not enough weapons at receiver that are just going to scare people, and he's going to be able to tear you up in that in that manner. So they need the whole thing to come together there in Houston. First-year head coach D'Amico Ryans declined to name C.J. Stroud the week one starter. Here's what Ryans had to say about Stroud's performance against the Dolphins after Saturday's game. Overall, just with the operation of the offense, I thought C.J. was more efficient. Uh, He felt more comfortable, and I think just everyone around him played better, which allowed him to play better. So I'm proud of the progression that C.J. took this week. I mean, that's what we want to see, right? You want to see improvement week to week, and that's what we saw this week. So I'm proud of what CJ did. Yeah, and I mean, he should be. I I still don't get this game of not naming him the starter, but he's got a reason for it. I'm not going to question the reason. I assume there's a reason. But it can't be we're trying to keep the Ravens in the dark about who our starter is for week one. The Ravens know it's CJ Stroud. We know it's C.J. Stroud. I don't know if it's just part of this thing we talk about from time to time, that they want no appearance whatsoever, that he's having anything handed to him, that he's earning everything he gets, that he's not presumptuous, that he's not premature, that we're just going to wait. We're going to let it play out. And there's no reason. Is there? Is there a reason? I mean, the Colts did it last week with Anthony Richardson. They had their reasons for it. But – when everybody kind of knows where this is going, what does it matter whether or not you call him QB1 or QB2? He's the starter on the unofficial depth chart. That should be good enough because yeah. we'll all be stunned if they put out the official depth chart in two weeks and it's not C.J. Stroud as the starter. Who's it going to be? Davis Mills? Right. Case Keenum? Right. No, I would go right. with Case Keenum before I went with Davis Mills. You're, you're, all due respect to Davis Mills. Well, you're right. Davis Mills ain't done anything in, in either game for you to think like, oh, wow, he might supplant him. And to, to your point... You're right. Like, it doesn't matter if you name him a starter as long as, like we had the discussion last week, that one guy is being treated like the starter in practice. He's getting to go with the first-team receivers and the first-team offense. And when it is seven-on-seven, again, it's the first-team receivers. And when it is throw routes versus air, hey, it's the first-team receivers. That's where it becomes detrimental. When you don't name a starter and you're going, wait, the guy that's starting or probably going to start, and we have a name of the starter – is thrown to a bunch of guys that he's not going to throw to when he's starting in the regular season, and that's stupid. And that that I don't think is going on down there, and, and that's why your point's right. C.J. Stroud was pick number two in the draft, pick one, Bryce Young of the Carolina Panthers. He was three for six for 35 yards in just two series against Chris's New York football giants on Friday night. Here's Frank Reich from after the game talking about Bryce Young's performance against the Giants. I thought Bryce looked sharp, um, you know, put together a nice drive, you know, would have liked to have us finish it off. Um, you know, obviously unhappy with the number of penalties we had. I don't know what the total number was. Yeah, eight, too many penalties. Um, but I thought Bryce looked sharp. I think he wanted to throw the ball more, you know. I mean, I think, I think he came off wanted to throw a little bit more, but um, I thought he looked sharp. They did blitz a few times. I, I think, you know, we'll see the film, but I think we made the right protection call every time. Um, I just felt like he was comfortable and poised in the pocket and seeing what he was supposed to see. And it takes reps at the NFL level. You've never seen it at that speed before in-game action. We saw him get banged around, got hit four times, I believe, week one. Yeah. So just get rid of the ball before the walls close in. Process, process, make decisions, get rid of the ball. That's the goal for the preseason for Bryce Young, Chris. Yeah, that, that's right. Continue to get used to the game. His best throws were penalties, right? The play, the play we just saw in the highlights, it got called back because of a holding call. Uh, there were some nice throws there, definitely. O-line pass protection was not great. 
You know, Kayvon Thibodeau, he kind of owned Iki Aquanu a few times coming around the edge. So that made things dicey there, right? Um, I, I don't doubt that he's comfortable and poised, right? I see that. And they're going to continue to talk about him. But I'm going to echo something that, one, goes through my brain, right? And I'll say it was better, worse, the same. I'll say it was the same as last week. But the thing that echoes through my brain and the thing that everybody else says to me, which is, man, that's the number one pick. I, I'm, just, just, I'm just saying, I don't, you know, I, there's nothing eye popping there. I go to the gym, right, on, on Saturday, and Johnny Muscles is going, man, I just can't believe Bryce Young's the number one pick. Man, I mean, I know he was good and all that, but, but I, you know, what pops out about you to think that it's going to be real, real special? That's what I'll continue to question a little bit there. You know, I know he can make the right read and get the protection right, right? But, you know, moves well. But missed a guy open in the middle of the field one time moving. Left the pocket a few times where you go, dude, the the pocket's fine. You got to stand in there and make the throw and just do it. There's no reason to get jumpy and move around and do all that. So, you know, this is where I want to continue to see the growth. I I know he's got some of the uh, above the shoulder traits. I got to see more physical traits to make me think he can make it happen at a high level like a number one pick should do on a consistent basis. And think of that extra pressure that comes from C.J. Stroud taking one pick behind him, Anthony Richardson, two selections after that, how they do and the better they are. Let's say they both become great and Bryce Young struggles. And all that extra pressure because of everything they gave up to move from nine to one, it really makes it difficult for Bryce Young. And he's got to show it. And he's got to compete well within the confines of the offense, but he's also got to hope that he holds up well in comparison to Stroud. And Richardson, you mentioned Aquan, who gave up that sack to Thibodeau. Coach Frank Reich called it the result of a miscommunication. Okay. Nothing about the team's two preseason outings have given him any misgivings about Aquanu's ability to do the job. He said, I have a lot of confidence in Ike. I have no concerns about him playing winning football and being one of the true anchors to our offensive line. Remember, he was the top 10 pick yeah. a year ago. Right. Local guy, feel good story, but yeah, he's got to be key good point on the offensive line. Yeah. Got to be good when right. you've got a smaller quarterback that right. you're counting on him getting rid of the ball before he gets hit. You need to count on the left tackle to keep the, the pass rusher from getting around the edge and forcing the issue before Bryce Young's able to make a decision and make a throw. That's right. I mean, Taylor Moten, the right tackle, he's good. He's got to continue to be good. Left tackle, hey, he, he came along at the end of the year last year and played really well. And I know the, the play Frank's talking about. One play, there was, a, there was a blitz on the inside, and he stepped down like he had to be responsible for it. And Thibodeau just went around the edge scot-free, or scotch-free, as some people might say. But So that was a little bit of the miscommunication. And then we saw the other one, which I think got called back because of a holding or whatever. But, yeah, they got to be really good up front. They're going to have to run the ball. They got to make that guy feel comfortable, especially early, especially early in the year, so he can get some confidence and some good vibes going. Last guy, second-year player that we kind of forgot about after Will Levis became the presumed future quarterback of the Tennessee Titans, but with Levis banged up, with Ryan Tannehill not playing, Malik Willis went wire to wire for the Tennessee Titans on Saturday in Minnesota. 10 for 17, 85 yards, one touchdown pass, one interception, and 91 rushing yards. I think we both would agree he's only getting better And it's going to create some interesting discussion if Tannehill's out after this year and it's down to Willis and Levis in 2024. Yeah. Willis has starting, you know, caliber traits as far as a quarterback. His arm is big time. His movement is big time. You know, you see some of these runs he made in the football game. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're special. There's not a lot of guys that can do that. Now, the throwing still needs to be refined. He misses a few throws in the game that you go, damn, you're just too good to miss, like, two people wide open, screaming wide open over the middle, right? So there is potential there for sure, and he certainly, I would think, as he continues to progress, is going to make things tough on them if they do get rid of Ryan Tannehill. Here's my question to you, Mike. Uh, I'm just, like, surprised in, in a week two preseason game, he plays the whole game. And they only get them 17 throws, right? It's like, to me, I, I just, I don't understand that totally. One, is it like, wait, 
why wouldn't you want to throw it more and let him grow in that department and get better? Uh, are you doing that to not let him get a lot of stats so you can keep well live as the, the second string guy? Or are you afraid what he might do if he throws the ball 30-something times and it can become bad because you want him to be the backup? You know what I'm saying? That was just weird. We yeah. see other backup quarterbacks who come in. Uh, I mean, Aiden O'Connell for the Raiders, other guys where you go, they're not going to play at all this year. And they threw the ball more than Malik Willis in preseason game number two. I just thought that was a little odd. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I mean, he had fewer throws this week than last week, right. and he did play the whole game. And you wonder how much of the politics of football That's come into it. That's what I'm saying. We don't want Malik right. Willis to look too good. We're not right. showcasing him for a trade. Right. We're holding on to him because we may have something here. And Mike Vrabel isn't going to next year say we have to make Will Levis the starter because we traded up in round two to get him, and, and we thought about taking him in round one. Just because of that? No. We're going to go with the best guy. And if Malik Willis has grown and developed and emerged to become the guy that some thought he would be. Remember going into the draft last year, he was the betting favorite to be the first quarterback taken ahead yeah. of Kenny Pickett. Yeah. And for some reason, he lingered until round three. And, yeah, so, yeah, maybe maybe they want to – maybe they just – they don't want guys like us talking about the very real possibility that a year from now, the Titans will be the team – that has a quarterback competition that is lingering deep into August and still unresolved as we approach the third preseason game. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm interested in the politics portion of, of the Malik Willis thing there. Yeah, I, I think there's a number of ways that those politics could be pushing. And I don't, I don't know. And not that I've talked to anybody down there or have a total feel for it. But like I'm saying, it's a guy that we saw was raw last year. He needs reps. He's playing the whole game. You know, he gets 17 throws. Half of them were like on the first drive of the game, right? That's where I'm like, that's where I just, I was like, wait, are they hiding him or are they afraid of what he might do? I couldn't quite figure that out. And, you know, I'll go back and watch the film. I'm kind of just TV scouting here a little bit, Uh, but either way. Yeah. I just found that a little peculiar. I mean, he needs to work. Yes, but it is the Vikings defense. Maybe that's what they. (laughs) Here they come. Uh, (laughs) uh, So next year, there could be a quarterback competition involving a guy who was a third round pick one year and a second round pick the next year. This year in Tampa Bay, there is an ongoing quarterback competition between the guy who was the first overall pick of the Browns in 2018 and a guy on whom the Bucs used a second round pick a couple of years ago. When will Tampa Bay pick? Between Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. We'll discuss that next here on PSP. Our matey pick a quarterback already. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. And do you have a time for when you want to name a starter publicly? Could this be after the third game and, and wait until after that? You know, we don't have a timetable on it. We'll name it when we name it. And, you know, we, we feel comfortable with where we're at. So we'll go from there. 
Todd Bowles talking to reporters yesterday, the day after preseason game against the New York Jets. No timetable on naming a starting quarterback. Also, no decision on who is going to start the week three preseason game against the Baltimore Ravens. Kyle Trask was 20 for 28 with 218 yards and one touchdown. He had exited the game for John Wolford. John Wolford injured his neck. Trask came back. Mayfield didn't play at all on Saturday night. Interpret that how you may. There have been reports, specifically Ira Kaufman, who's covered the Bucks forever, reported on his podcast with JoeBucksFan.com a week and a half or so ago that Mayfield is the guy. Okay, fine. Let's make him the guy. Mike Evans said last week, we're ready to know who the guy is. Mayfield himself said, said Friday, of it, right? I'm ready to end yeah. this competition. Right. You got to end the competition at some point. You got to pick a horse at some point and get that guy ready for week one. The winner in all this is the Vikings. The longer it takes the Bucks to get their crap together about who's playing week one, the harder it's going to be for that offense to keep up with the Minnesota offense right out of the gates. Week one in Minnesota, Vikings in the throwback uniforms, skull clap, people loud, one o'clock Eastern, which means you're going to get good Kirk Cousins. Yeah. Get a quarterback named and get a quarterback ready for that game, Chris. How dare you? Kirk Cousins has a lot of footballs in his little trophy room of primetime games where he got game ball. Okay. You got to love him. All right. (laughs) But, but I, I mean, I don't get it either. By the way this is playing out, and even like you look at a lot of teams and how they played in preseason two, like where they didn't play. It looked like, hey, Baker Mayfield's a starter, and we're not playing some of our top guys here in week two, right? You know, they let Trask go out, get a bunch of throws. He gets more than he's supposed to because of the injury, like you said. But, yeah, by all due accounts, it seems like he is the starter. I don't know what the value is in keeping this – going other than maybe they don't want to disrespect Kyle Trask because he's done really good and they respect him there and they're just I, I don't confidence thing but but to me it does not make any sense at this point and uh, I would name a starter and, and it just feels like it's going that way to, to what you're saying as well anyways there has been this notion and Dave Canales the new offensive coordinator in Tampa alluded to it earlier in the offseason the idea of politics because Second round pick yeah. on Kyle Trask. Right. Got to give him every chance. Right. Got to give him every opportunity because in a roundabout way, uh-oh, Jason Light blew it when he took Kyle Trask. Not that there were a lot of other great options in that range of the 2022 draft or 2021, excuse me. That was the Davis Mills, Kellen Mond right. range. Right. But still, that may be part of it. And Bulls did praise Trask. He said he had poise, poise in the pocket, a lot more athleticism. He used his legs when he had to, was very successful at that, threw the ball where he was supposed to throw it, threw some pinpoint passes. I'd like to have a few plays back, but overall saw a lot of poison, a lot of gross, I, 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 growth. Excuse me. I thought he did well. So there was some praise. And who knows? Maybe there's some internal, you know, maybe the politics are, are more than just theoretical. Maybe you got Jason Light saying, hey, you know what? Maybe Trask is the guy. Maybe we should go with Trask. We got Baker Mayfield for $4 million. That's veteran backup money. We don't have to play Mayfield. We can start Trask, and if it goes sideways, we can go to Mayfield. It could be that. But we can at least justify the decision we made. So maybe there is. Maybe there is. Something going on internally where they're 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 pushing and and maybe Todd Bowles knows he wants to go with Mayfield, but he's got to work it through the channels the right way and finesse it. But every practice that goes by without a decision is one fewer practice that the whole team will know who the guy is and that guy will get all the first team reps. That's the, that's the core problem. At this stage of the calendar. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it is. It, they, they, they need to fix it or come to a remedy here soon. I'd be more in, wait, well, I'm not sure about our team. We got some questions on the offensive line. I'd want to play the guy that's got more talent and more experience, right? I like Kyle Trask. He's doing some good things. There's no doubt. You know, 28 throws like that, not to throw interceptions and all that. But I don't see the same quality arm and the explosiveness that Baker Mayfield has that's going to make plays for an offense that, you know, I think we all go, you know, where are the plays going to come from this year? Are they going to be able to run the ball? I don't know. It's going to have to be on the right arm there. 
And that's where I would trust Baker Mayfield. And then if that didn't work out, okay, now you can go to Kyle Trask and, and see if he can right the ship at some point early on in the football season, week five, week six, if you weren't happy with Baker Mayfield's play. But uh, it feels, and I would, lay, I would lean, lean on Baker, sorry. I got another factor. I just want to just want to just want to drop out there. Okay, drop it. And I didn't think of this. I didn't think of this until right now. This is one of the benefits of doing this show every day. Chris and I have 2 hours where we can just talk and we can talk things through. One of the stories that I wrote Saturday morning arises from a lawsuit and it's not a lawsuit yet. But it's a legal proceeding that is a clear precursor to a potential lawsuit. Baker Mayfield and his wife had $12 million that they don't know where the hell the $12 million is. Uh, that's crazy. And they, they, want to get, they want to get a full accounting from the investment firm where the $12 million is. And apparently his dad and his brother work for the investment firm. So, so one year after the Bucks dealt with the whole Tom Brady family issue that created major distraction for everyone, could it be that all of a sudden this thing is causing the Bucks to say, Whoa, 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 whoa. We don't know where this thing is going to go. We don't know what the hell is going on with this $12 million and the investment firm. they got family members working there. What, what is this going to turn into? Does that become, given the experience last year with Tom Brady, does that become something that they're hypersensitive to? And it causes them to say, boy, if this thing's close, maybe we don't err on the side of the guy who was the number one overall pick. Maybe we, maybe we, we ride with Kyle Trask because we don't know what's going to happen with this thing. I mean, twelve million is a lot of money. You got to make about twenty million to have twelve million left. That's a lot of his football earnings that is in some black hole somewhere that they don't know where it is. And I guarantee you, that's going to create stress in your day to day life. And and again, I'm only mentioning it because of what they went through last year with Brady. If they hadn't gone through what they went through last year with Brady, I don't even. It doesn't even enter my brain. So I don't know. We're, we're, we're searching for reasons as to why they haven't gone ahead and made Mayfield the guy. And I think it's fair to ask, especially because he just filed this paperwork last week. So it's all playing out in real time as the Buccaneers are going through training camp and preseason. So it's clearly something that Baker Mayfield is dealing with. And it's got to be something he's thinking about. And just because of the Brady stuff last year, I, it just popped into my head that maybe, maybe they're thinking – this is a factor that we need to process before we make a final decision. Yeah, I, I, I mean, only they would know. It would have to be, you know, you'd have to start seeing signs of, hey, l- listen, we had signs last year, right? We, yes. could, we could see, like, wait, Brady doesn't even look the same. He looks like he's stressed out. He looks like he lost 15 pounds, and he wasn't, you know, thick to begin with. Right. And I think we started to hear from people down there in Tampa that, man, there was some stuff going on in his life and all that. So that was it was obviously very apparent to them. And Hey, listen, if they're coming in and they realize like Baker Mayfield's stressed out and on the phone and trying to figure things out on a daily basis, then maybe you think that maybe you do. I don't know that that would be what would make them would make them have to reevaluate. But I think more than not, your first pasta and meatballs gut reaction was probably right the the politics it's a second round pick he went to the university of florida he's our guy we drafted him we know what baker mayfield is we're not paying him that much money anyways i feel like that's probably more the the reason than the 12 million dollars but we'll see where that that all goes and again the only reason i even tie the two together is because of last year and the way that the Brady thing kind of dragged the whole team down. And you've heard guys since then talk about it. And they're very careful about what they say. But I think some of the guys are happy that you don't have that extra stress that is going to infect the whole team. When the leader of the team is feeling it, you're damn right the rest of the guys are going to feel it too. Right. And for anyone out there would say, oh, it's not fair to talk about this issue with Baker Mayfield. He filed paperwork in a public court. It, this isn't something that someone dredged up. Nobody's going through his trash, finding, you know, correspondence and bank statements. He filed this thing. And I know it's not a lawsuit, but he initiated a public proceeding demanding a full accounting. He wants to question witnesses. He wants to see documents. He wants to know 
where his money went. Imagine how you would feel oh. if a significant chunk of your life savings is just gone. Yeah. And you don't know what happened to it. And no one's telling you what happened to it to the point where you have to initiate a court proceeding to get to the truth. When the people who know the truth are members of your family, that is going to stress you out. I'm not judging Baker Mayfield. I'm just saying this is a very potentially stressful thing for him. And when you combine it with the Buccaneers experience from last year, Chris, it just you got a stew of factors in these decisions. And how can the Buccaneers not at least do a little due diligence and think this through given what the Brady situation did to the team last year. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, hey, listen, I think you're, it's fair to bring it up. It is. It's, it's a real problem. I don't care, like you said, who you are, what team, or whatever walk of life you're working in. I mean, $12 million is a lot of damn money, and it's going to make you stress. You know, when the, when the alarm sounds in the morning, he's going to have a little more stress than you are worrying about your 605 alarm. He's going to go, damn, it's 6 o'clock. Where's my $12 million at? He's, he's a little more he's a little, a little more stress level than you. <laughs> and it's not just where's my $12 million. It's the extra issue of people in my family. I mean, if you can't trust your family, who in the hell can you trust? Yeah, I, People uh, listen, in my family ooh, man. may have taken unfair liberties with my money. So you feel like your whole life is collapsing around you. I feel bad for Baker Mayfield. Me too. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are ultimately going to try to win football games. Yeah. And and again, it doesn't even hit the radar screen for me, and maybe it should have. But it only hits the radar screen because of the extreme stress that Tom Brady went through last year and the impact that that surely had on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So they just lived this a year ago. It's different, but it's not. And maybe it's a factor in who they go with when they go to Minnesota on September 10 to take on the Vikings as part of the week one slate of games. Let's take a break. When we return... Scary moment from Saturday night, good news in the aftermath, and a decision by the Patriots that we're still trying to process following what happened in Green Bay. We'll give you the latest on Isaiah Bolton when PFT Live continues right after this. There's the tweet from Isaiah Bolton. Appreciate the prayers. More excited to be back with the guys. Isaiah Bolton took an accidental blow to the head from a teammate on Saturday night at Lambeau Field, was unconscious on the ground, and it was a serious situation. Coming just months after DeMar Hamlin, I think there's a higher degree of concern when these things happen. It is precautionary in many cases. With Bolden, it felt like it wasn't. Remember with the DeMar Hamlin situation, the moments where we recognize this isn't just the precautionary cart, stretcher, yeah, we backboard. saw Josh Allen... That this, yeah, Josh Allen does this, and it's like, okay, this is this is something more serious. And Bolden fell into that category. They suspended the game with 10:29 to play, which is smart. It's a preseason game; it doesn't mean anything. Once you have the players go through that trauma and have that concern when a player is knocked unconscious, that's the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a, it was a, and and hey, when you have an unprecedented situation occur like with Demar Hamlin. That becomes the precedent. That becomes the thing that people can look back to. How did we handle that? What do we do now? And it's easier in a regular or in a preseason game because you don't have to make it up. Right. There isn't any impact on the standings. It doesn't mean anything. Let's just call it quits. We had two days of joint practices. Let's just call it quits. So Bill Belichick and Matt LaFleur did the right thing. They did the only thing. There's no reason to continue after what occurred. But the good news is Bolden was out of the hospital Bolden was able to return to New England with the team. So as scary as it was, at the end of the day, it all worked out quickly, and it wasn't nearly as dire as the DeMar Hamlin situation. But but there was a little while on Saturday night, you know, the text messages we were exchanging among the PFT writers were like, oh, no, is this something even worse than DeMar Hamlin? I mean, what do we have going on here? But fortunately, it worked out well for Bolden, for the Patriots, and uh, and everybody involved handled it properly. Uh, especially as it relates to deciding to pull the plug on the remainder of the game. Yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, it's scary. It's scary. We know that. It's preseason football. It's fourth quarter. That time, that lengthy of a break and everything like that, you know, that late in the game, that's hard to ask players to restart their motors and get focused and protect themselves and play the game the right way. Really, kudos to Bill Belichick. You know, I think I read that, you know, Matthew Slater said like one of his quotes was like, hey, listen, this isn't the AFC championship game. 
come on, let's just move on with life. And, you know, well done by him and showing that leadership. Uh, when it comes out of Bill's mouth, everybody can get behind that. Bill's very smart. He does have – He's Bill's probably thinking about, wait, if this guy's paralyzed and we come back and play this game and do that, I mean, what, what – what, what, I mean, where are my guys' brains at? And then it just looks insensitive on us as a league, a team, everything. So I think it was the, the total right decision there. It's just the right thing to do. I mean, yeah. it doesn't even need to be overanalyzed because there's no competitive complication. Mm-hmm. This is the right thing to do. It's a serious injury. It's more than a precautionary trip to the hospital – this feels serious. Let's just call it a day. The good news is it ended up not being as serious as it might have been. Now, the whole situation was sufficiently serious to cause the Patriots to add an interesting final line or two to the statement they issued yesterday with good news on the status of Isaiah Bolton. They pointed out, due to circumstances surrounding the abrupt and unexpected ending to Saturday's game, they have canceled their joint practices with the Tennessee Titans set for Tuesday and Wednesday. There was no explanation as to what about the circumstances from Saturday night caused the decision to abandon the practices on both days, Tuesday and Wednesday. They still could have done Wednesday. They still could have done one day. They decided to do neither. Bill Belichick was on WEEI earlier today, and he was asked about it, and he said, I just felt like for a number of reasons it was the best thing to do for the team. That's disappointing to me because to the extent that I feel like Coaches are beginning to recognize that for many reasons, these joint practices may not be the best way to go, especially back-to-back days of them. Someone with the gravitas of Bill Belichick, when he makes a decision like that, it's an opportunity for him to lead. Yeah. And I wish he would have taken it, and I hope he still does. He'll meet with reporters at some point, and they'll ask him about it. And I hope he takes advantage of the opportunity to lead and influence and cause others to do the same instead of reverting back to the whole, this is strategic and we don't want to tell anyone else how we do things. We want them to have to make their own decisions because maybe that helps us in some weird way. Help the game. Be the leader. If there's a reason to not engage in joint practices that you have discerned from what happened on Saturday. And Chris, you know, my thought was when you look at that and Bolden's kind of coming in hot, puts his helmet down, is he trying to give a little something extra to that receiver? Is there something that dates back to the date, uh, the joint practices? You know, the first day's fine. The second day it gets a little more chippy. And then they play a game. And maybe you got some guys out there that aren't thinking about playing football, but they're thinking about trying to get the other guy. I don't know. But that explain it to us, Bill. W- what is the connection and why are you deciding to abandon the joint practices between the Titans and the Patriots? It And... You know, just tell us, tell us so so we can use that as another data point as teams decide whether and to what extent joint practices make sense for them going forward. Right. Yeah, no, I, I want to hear it too. I mean, Bill is, you know, like I've always said about Bill Belichick, if, if he was on Wall Street, he'd be the wolf of Wall Street. He's well thought out. It's never anything that's just like, oh. I don't think that was I don't think that ultimately was a good thing well, to be. Well, yeah, you're right. I'm not you're sure. Right. I might you, have to rewatch. You're right. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. You're right. I don't think it turned it out well. It was good for a while there, for, though. It, had, it packed some punch for a while. You know what I mean there, okay? <laughs> All right. But either way, <laughs> your point is, is, is real. You're right. Maybe I need to come up with a better Wall Streeter, okay? Who, what's another billionaire I could throw out there? Ray Dalio, okay? He'd be Ray Michael Dalio. Michael Milken. Yeah. Sure, right. But, but. Yeah, I want to hear those thoughts. And too. Ron. And and I was thinking yeah. like you know, I was texting with a few people around the NFL about this a little in the weekend. I think, you know, one the one thing I got back is that uh, maybe the sentiment that teams have gone too far into doing these joint practices, right? It's a good thing. They like the work, it changes things up, certainly. But now it's like, wait, we got, you know, a different team every week. It's wearing out guys a little bit in a year where they are in a time of the year where they're worn out anyways. And then I think on top of that, you know, it's like you've talked about a little bit, you know, it's the get back factor. Oh, this team dominated yesterday in the joint practice. Now that team won. 
has to hear about it from their coaches and watch it on film, but then go on social media, and this is the other thing that was texted me, and then see, you know, some of their teammates or themselves getting embarrassed on social media by people in the crowd or whatever. So now they're amped up even more to go at it tomorrow and, and prove people wrong. And I just think there's maybe a little bit of that going on. And I think some teams are maybe taking a step back here going, wait, maybe we've overdone it a little bit with these joint practices. And then they play a game. Exactly. That's the thing. Right. They got the first day. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Whoever lost comes back pissed off and chippy the next day. Then they have a game after the second day. So you can have guys out there. And think about it. Think about it. The NFL, thou shalt not taunt because you don't want to have the guy who was on the wrong end of the taunting looking for an opportunity to get that guy later in the game. How is that any different? from building up two days of animosity and then going out and playing a game. Let's not build up the animosity. Let's not get familiar with each other. Familiarity breeds contempt. That may be what Bill Belichick realized. Matt LaFleur, the coach of the Packers, talked about it after Saturday's game. The idea, one day is fine. Second day, problematic. You still got the game. See, The one day can still be problematic because there's the unresolved tension and the criticism from whoever got the worst of that practice, and they still play the game. Yeah. Maybe the path here is if you're going to have a preseason, and maybe one of these days they won't. Maybe there'll be 20 regular season games. But if you're going to have a preseason, the idea of having multiple joint practices before the same two teams play in the preseason May not be a good idea. Think about it during the week. I mean, I've never thought about it this way. How ridiculous would it be if two teams that were going to play, let's say the Chiefs and the Jets, they're playing week four, Sunday night football. Let's say the Chiefs come to town early and they have joint practices in advance of the game. And I know it's unrealistic because you got to get your game plan ready and whatnot. But just the idea, you, you've got a game to play. You're going to be exposed to those guys then. You don't need all those extra reps. You don't need that extra tension. You don't need that extra chippiness. And... LaFleur realized it. Robert Sala spoke about it last week. And I'm just disappointed that Bill Belichick, if that's the reason that he hasn't taken advantage of the chance to add his voice to it because his voice carries so much weight. Yeah, he, he, he's, the, he's the godfather. You know, we, we want to hear from him. And I, I want to hear his thoughts on, on this subject. You know, I think the, the thing we see to me would be the best formula to kind of what, what you're to piggyback off of what you're saying is joint practice. Okay, you go at it hard, you practice really hard, you have a preseason game two days later, those the starters don't play. The guys who worked the most yeah. in the practice don't play. So now there's you're at least eliminating some of that chippiness carryover. That would be the thing I'd like, you know, I think could be could remedy the situation a little bit too. And I think the other thing too, teams have realized like right, I had a coach say this to me during the weekend too. What happens is the coaches lose their way too. You know, team, we want to work on this. We want to work on this. Team comes into town and they do stuff on us to now where we can't work on this. And now we're, we spent the night, let's come up with a few ways to screw them over in tomorrow's practice. And we got away from the things we kind of wanted to work on in the big picture. But we want to look good tomorrow in practice. And so we're going to add a few things and game plan a few things just to make practice work tomorrow. And that's one coach. Uh, I had one coach get back to me that, that certainly was trying to say that they fell in that trap a little bit too. You fall in the competitive nature, just like the players want to prove, you know, the bad performance the day before was a, was a, you know, just a one day thing. And they're trying to get back the next day. And it's that whole dynamic of going in and getting ripped by your coach after the first joint practice, which Robert Sala did. We saw it on hard knocks. Yeah, he right. Ripped the Jets after their joint practice with the Panthers and rain knocked out the second day, which ended up being a good thing. So I think Saul has come to the conclusion. One day is all that you should do. LaFleur is coming to that same point. Belichick came to the conclusion that at least for this week, zero days should be done. And last night out of nowhere, a joint statement from the Texans and the saints that they canceled their joint practices set for this week with no explanation. Again, when D'Amico Ryans meets with reporters, when Dennis Allen meets with reporters, hopefully they will give a clear and thorough explanation as to why they decided it, not just hide behind coach speak. You know, we've paid attention to some of the things that have been going on around the league. We understand that, you know, and, and I credit the coaches who are changing behavior midstream. It would be very easy to just say, 
we're just going to get through this preseason and we'll worry about how we handle joint practices next year. But we're already down this path. Let's just finish it. I like the fact that they're willing to pull the reins and think of things a different way and change arrangements and whatever it was for the Texans and the Saints, Chris, I'd love to know how they came to the conclusion and what the issue is and can they add their voices to what sounds like a lot of common sense as it relates to the wisdom of joint practice. Yeah, well, it, it, it becomes to, I want to hear it too, Mike. I mean, you're right. I want to hear D'Amico, uh, D'Amico Ryan or Dennis Allen, at least give us, you know, hear their two cents too. But yeah, I, you know, it does seem like this year there's been a lot more joint practices across the league. It's multiple practices per week. And at some point I would look at it and go, wait, you know, I mean, how much are we going to wear our team out or do this before the season even starts anyways? And maybe that's what a few of these teams have come to the realization as well. It's just like, hey, we've gotten a lot of work. We've had a lot of physical practices. Why are we rolling the dice here on one more week this late in the game? And, and maybe that's where they're, they're getting smarter. Speaking of leadership, where's the union on all of this? Where's the union at all? Where's Lloyd Howell, the new executive director? I don't know when he officially took over. I don't know when he officially takes over. They gave him the job, and everybody went silent. Where's J.C. Treader on this, the president of the union? He's not playing anymore, but he could come out and say something. They could add their voice to this as well. They've agreed to the system that allows this, and if people are crossing the line, they have rights on behalf of the players where they can say these practices are too intense, the coaches aren't policing their own guys there are too many fights we're getting guys injured last week danny johnson of the commanders rotator cuff injury when he got slammed to the ground by mark andrews after a play where's the union they have been mia a wall any other acronym you want to use that signifies where the hell are they so they should get involved in this as well let's take a break superlatives from week two of the preseason coming next on this monday edition of pft live Simsisms. He's got some wear and tear left on his tires. You could say he's he's one of the fastest running backs in football when you get him out in the open. I don't think he's hit that wall yet. And I just can't we find a way to, you know, give him a two-year extension with a nice signing bonus or something like that if you feel like he's got some wear and tear left on his tires? Simsisms. I missed that one. I did too. And I didn't get any emails about that one either. Usually what happens is people will email me about the ones that have been well-established Simsisms to the point that they have become part of your repertoire, like Leader House and Reading Between the Tea Leaves. Yes. I get emails about those all the time. All right, superlatives. Week two, preseason. Not fully over. One game tonight, Commanders-Ravens, but we're going to do it anyway now. First one for me, this is the... Will I Am Award. Remember Will I Am? Yeah, the sure. The leader of the Black Eyed Peas, yeah. which was basically a karaoke group back right. in the, what was it, a decade or so ago. They haven't been around for a long time. Well, Will Anderson is around. Will he is. He made a play. And, you know, we get so caught up in C.J. Stroud, second overall pick in the draft. Yeah. Third overall pick. They traded up for Will Anderson. You've been a little skeptical Definitely. because where's the dominance? Where's the flash? Where's the thing that makes us say, wow, he gave us a little something he did. on Saturday. Now, it, it helped. It helped that there was a high snap. There, and it helped that the high snap distracted Salvan Ahmed just enough that he wasn't ready <laughs> for what he got. He looked up at the ball and he looked down, and there was Will Anderson. And then he's on Skylar Thompson, and out came the ball. But that was a great play. And they said on the broadcast, I think it was N.D. Kalu. Ahmed tried to block him for some reason. Well, that's what you do. That's what, that's what the running back does. You try to get in the way of the guy who's trying to get to the quarterback. But Anderson blew him up. It wasn't quite Genevieve Clowney, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, helmet flies off when it was Michigan-South Carolina in that game years ago. But it was pretty damn impressive. It, it was. And he had other plays that popped, too. Yeah, he's looked the part in both preseason games, right? Yeah, I question the, the splash ability and the ability to come around the edge like we see those unbelievable pass rushers, a great explosion off the ball. You know, there was people during the process that tried to tell me, hey, he's more explosive than you think. He had to play at a bigger weight at Alabama and all that. 
And maybe that's maybe that's the truth of it, because he's another guy that looks a little thinner than he was at Alabama. Alabama, they asked him to do some more run-stopping stuff. He looks like a different guy. He he popped in, in week one against the Patriots. He looked pretty damn good against the Dolphins. So we'll see if he can continue that, though. But it's a good call by you. It really is. Um, Will Anderson looks good. All right, well, I'm going up the road from here. here. I'm going to black and yellow, black and yellow, because, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If I went into the preseason and I went, man, I'm not going to pick the Steelers to go to the playoffs. And the Steelers, yeah, I know you and your pasta and meatballs crap, and you're really a Steelers fan. You want to be, you just won't I got a terrible towel here somewhere. Uh, Yeah, you need to find it because – They just got something going. I know it's the preseason, and I don't want to read too deep into it. But as far as first-team offenses go, they've been the most impressive I've seen in in football so far through two weeks. I mean, their long run by Warren, this after a turnover, and just boom, strike right down the middle of the field. Kenny Pickett looks great. We know they got weapons. Their O-line looks like it's better. They make some explosive plays like in this, this in the run game. They were they dominated the Bills offensive line on the other side of the ball. And we're, so I don't know. It's just one of those years, like you said, people sleeping on the Steelers and Mike Tomlin's got them believing and foaming at the mouth. And they look damn good through two preseason games. We talked earlier about how the Jaguars don't get any preseason hyper buzz because you know they actually made it to the playoffs and won a game well the Steelers did exactly what the Lions did horrible start and got it together down the stretch and they get no buzz at all nothing they did exactly what the Lions did and it's just like oh it's the Steelers but you know they kind of went into the season I think at least folks who follow the team carefully believed it was going to be defense running game defense running game a different approach than what the other teams are doing offensively in the NFL and maybe that is enough of a curveball to win you some games. Well, Kenny Pickett may have something to say about He's whether doing or not so it's going to be good. run game or pass yeah, game. Yeah, right. That, yeah, and and then you have a team that's very balanced. Balance is the key. They get that team properly balanced, they're going to be a pain in the ass. And Mike Tomlin always gets more out of those guys than the some of the parts would otherwise suggest. Watch out for the Steelers this year. Let's not get... Shoot, let's let's let them continue to be off the radar because yeah. it fits the narrative better that nobody expected anything out of them and then boom here they come. All right, I I almost was going to do the Nathan Peterman award for Matt Barkley because in that same game he had twelve throws and three interceptions <laughs> and a fumble, a turnover, <laughs> yeah, a fumble, yeah. So he had four turnovers in all. He did get injured too on the play that resulted in the fumble, but three interceptions and twelve throws. You're putting in some work. To pull that off, and uh, that, that's about what Nathan Peterman did for the Bills against the Chargers six years ago. I'll instead go to, and I want to show you the play first. Yeah, I saw okay. it. I was watching this live. Is the, this, is the, this is the who does this remind you of award. Let's go ahead and show the play. The catch and run late in the fourth quarter of the Broncos 49ers game. Look at Ronnie. How, Ronnie who does Ronnie Bell remind you of? I mean, right it, there. It, kinda, he's, it seemed like Debo did, up the mid. I mean, I kind of thought of Debo at I, first. I, Look out. Who are you thinking? Mm, who? I, he was looking like Jerry Rice to me. Well, I got he was looking you. like he should be wearing 80 instead of 10. I, Just I, the way he was moving. Yeah. Just the, the it flashed popping. in my brain as yeah. I watched. Yeah. And, and look, guys, the seventh round pick. Anything they get out of him is gravy. And. He may never. He may not even make the roster. He may be on the practice squad. I don't know. But he had a play last, last week, week right. after they had three straight. They had they had three straight three and outs, and they give him the ball out of the backfield. One of the funky Shanahan formations. He runs for a first down, and that sparked the offense coming out of the funk. But that play, just there was something about it. The way he's built, the way his shirt was tucked in his pants, the way his legs were moving. It's like. It, that looks like Jerry Rice. It helps that it was also a 49ers uniform, but there was just something about what he did with that ball. Now, now, in fairness to Rice, he wouldn't have gotten tackled. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that may be the one big difference. Rice would have scored on that play. But, you know, for a team that just has this way of finding guys in mid to late rounds, you never know where that next guy is going to come from, Chris. And that's why I'm fascinated by Ronnie Bell all of a sudden. Yeah, Out of nowhere, yeah, yeah. I'm paying attention to Ronnie Bell. Uh, he, I, I think he's he's made the roster. 
you you can't not put him on the roster the way he's looked in both of those games, right? Somebody with a somebody if, 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 from what they've seen, somebody who has problems with the receiver position. If they tried to like cut him and then bring him back on practice squad, when that someone's going to take this guy, he's ready for prime time, like you said. He's re- he looks really damn good, and this is where. You know, Shanahan's, Shanahan's special in this department. He is. He's an ex-receiver. He grew up learning routes from, you know, Christian McCaffrey's dad, Ed McCaffrey, and Rod Smith. He was obsessed with it. He was coaching kids, you know, guys on our Texas football team how to run routes. Uh, so this is where he, you know, he, this is where it's his specialty, and he found one in, in Ronnie Bell there. Um, all right, give me one more. All right, last one for me, uh, and and for my superlative is – Man, I mean, pick 30, pick 30, pick 30. This, the the NFL let Nolan Smith go to the Eagles and pick 30. I mean, you see the pass rush here. There's a few other plays where he's phenomenal against the run, is disruptive, and then you see him here on the reverse. Hey, oh, yeah, no worry. Just two tight ends blocking me. I'll bounce off him and then run down the receiver who runs 4-3. I mean, that's Anthony Schwartz. He runs 4-3. And this guy's 245, and he runs 4-3. It's just unbelievable as a giant fan. This is another great play. Oh, yeah, just run over the tight end. Get your hands in the face of the quarterback. I I just can't believe the league let this guy go to the Eagles and pick 30. I'm mad as a Giants fan. Like, what the F? But that was uh, – he's impressive. He hurt his shoulder a little. We'll see where it's at. But, damn, he's, he pops, Mike. Out there nonstop, reckless abandon in the preseason. What's it going to be like in the regular season? We'll find out soon. Let's take a break. Daniel Jones made a cameo. Oh, wait, we may not even get to that. We'll see. We'll PFT <laughs> Live right after this. <laughs> Generic tease. <laughs> New York Giants saw a little bit of Daniel Jones, their new $40 million per year with an asterisk quarterback. Darren Waller getting some play. Uh, Daniel Jones looking like he looked last year. Chris, what were your thoughts for your for your G-men? Man. The G-men. The G-men. They look good. Daniel Jones, everybody's going to continue to see why they gave him $40-plus million. And this is going to be a great example of why everybody needs to calm the F down with young quarterbacks and let them develop. Because here you go. Now he's finally got an O-line, and he's got some people to throw to. And the Giants are phenomenally coached on both sides of the football. Their talent might not be that of the, you know, the Eagles or the Cowboys, but damn, they're coached well. And with that quarterback right there playing like that, they're going to be a pain in the butt. And that was a good, really, I mean, a really good start by Daniel Jones. He looked awesome. Eight for nine, 69 yards, a touchdown. Waller had three catches for 30 yards. We're number 12 for the New York Giants. And the Giants open the season at home. Week one, Dallas Cowboys, NBC. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's our game. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Remember, that was like the game that the networks always fought over, Giants-Cowboys. It's lost some luster in recent years. Who I think the luster's back. For the Giants and the Cowboys, even though the Eagles are running that division, Giants and the Cowboys are going to be fighting it out to see who's second best. And maybe one gets in the playoffs and the other doesn't, Chris. Yeah, no, it, it seems like the NFC East has is, is got it going right now, like to, to the old days here. That's what it feels like. And Washington certainly is not that far off the radar either. It, it's four, I think, pretty quality teams yeah, the Eagles being the king, the Cowboys being damn good, and the Giants continue to build their team. And, you know, with Wink Martindale on defense and, and Dayball running the offense, damn, that's a special tandem. If Thibodeau continues to show like he's a legit pass rusher like he did the other night, Darren Waller comes through, Saquon stays healthy. They got this Jalen Hyatt who they drafted out of Tennessee who can fly and has got three rockets up his butt. Wide ass open. Right. He could be dangerous. They could be dangerous. Yeah, he had a nice play where he blew by the safety. He moved into the slot. Safety came down to cover him, and he just ran right by him for a touchdown the other night. NFC East plays all the teams of the AFC East and all the teams of the NFC West. Oof. That cross-pollination becomes critical to wild card berth. You look at the NFC North and the South – and the Giants, Cowboys, and Commanders may have a hard time competing with the second and third place teams in those other divisions because their schedules are easy and they don't have to play each other. Yeah. 
Cowboys got to play the Eagles twice and the Giants twice and the Commanders twice. So something to keep an eye on. Giants-Cowboys could be one makes it and one doesn't this year. We'll see. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. Okay, this was going to be one of the superlatives. And look, I think it's fair game to poke fun at facial hair because you can shave it off whenever you want. (laughs) Yeah. You grew it, you saw it, and you decided to keep it. Aiden O'Connell. I mean, this is either, like, kid who just graduated high school that had a facial hair policy that said you couldn't have any whatsoever, like when we went to school at a Catholic school, so you grow a mustache first order of business after you graduate even though you shouldn't or there's kind of shades of guy who's trying to sneak into a movie right trying Trying to look look a little older older, like phil packer from the brady bunch when peter brady was phil packer like it doesn't look real he looks too young maybe i'm just too old i think that's probably why it is one piece of advice fatherly advice shave that thing off uh i'm not a big mustache guy either there's very few people that can really pull it off where you go Oh, actually, he looks better without, with a mustache, right? Like Tom Selleck, Magnum P.I. You better have one. He's handsome as hell with it. He cuts it off. I'm like, whoa, you're a little weird. I don't know. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, I, I'd like him to shave it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, and he just looks so young. But again, Chris, we're old. And you're like he's stand by me. And he's trying to older, walk older down too. the train tracks. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.